call is now being recorded. We are SC Podcast, uh, New Year's Day edition. Gary Pasquis joined by Daryl Rideau. And Daryl, first of all, Happy New Year. Let's, uh, let's have our conversation breaking down the Cotton Bowl. Uh, we'll, we'll touch on a couple key points on that. And then also want to get into a discussion on how the Cotton Bowl result, how that kind of looks at your narrative of the season. Uh, for, for 2017, and then some of the key points that we might look at right now moving forward. Uh, but let's just give your thoughts, uh, general thoughts off the top as we're sitting here a couple days removed from that game on, on what you saw Friday night in Dallas. Well, first and foremost as well, Gary, uh, happy New Year's. And, um, and you know, 2017 was uh, just interesting. And mm-hmm. I guess that's the that that's the one adjective that I, I can think of to describe what we've experienced and what we saw. First and foremost, you have your marquee team being USC in the Pac-12, featured in the top five to start the season, mm-hmm. and they have to run the season without a bye week, without a chance to catch their breath. Very, very difficult. But the way you know, give credit to the way that Clay Helton dealt with it. He made no excuses. No bones about it. Um, dealt with the injuries as they came along the way and kept this team competitive throughout the course, you know, with a few hiccups. But mm-hmm. they finished strong, you know, and you, and you have to, you have to get praise to that. Uh, but all season, Gary, on every show that we've had, every discussion that you and I have had, the narrative can be the same when it comes to how this team had performed during the game. They get off perhaps to a fast start. In the middle, you know, they kind of lose focus, and the turnovers occur. And they they typically occur in, in pairs when, when it comes to USC. Mm-hmm. And against inferior opponents, Gary, you can get away with that. But in the Cotton Bowl, against a pissed-off Ohio State team led by um, Irvin, Irvin Meyer, who believed that they deserved the right to be uh, amongst the top four uh, vying for a national championship, you were going up against an angry bunch of of men, of grown men. And if there's any indication of how well that program is is um, <clears throat> is put together and intact, look at how deep their defensive line went. I think I counted 10, 11 deep, at least three rows deep. First string, second string, third, they're all interchangeable. And there were even times where I counted four defensive tackles on the field at the same time. I think that they call that the, like their, their speed group or something. I'm not really sure what term they use. The Rushman? The, 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 the Rushman, yeah, there you go. Um, the, the point I'm making is when you're, when you're going up against that kind of caliber and you have a month to prepare, the one thing that you go back to is execution. How well can you execute when you're going up against talent that's equal or in some cases in some positions maybe more superior to what you're bringing to the table? And when we look back and we reflect, a couple of questions come to mind. One is I am not certain that the 2017 group executed at the level that it takes to be considered elite. But they have, in, in certain areas, elite players, such as Sam Darnold, amongst others. You know, Ronald Jones, if, the second, if you're looking in the backfield. And then defensively, I think that they can scheme with anyone in the country. But I thought that, that this Cotton Bowl, Gary, just summed up the season. 
you can you, you can you can afford to erase mistakes against inferior opponents. But when you're going up against the upper echelon, you have to be on top of your game. And in that Cotton Bowl, they just were not. And I think your point is taken. USC does not find many opponents across the field uh, that that are equal in talent, or like you say, in, in some cases they got a guy better than ours, and we got a guy better than theirs. Uh, right. It doesn't happen often when you're uh, when, when you're doing that. So you can understand it when you're USC. Sometimes those. You you get in those games, and it was just that turnovers at the beginning, Daryl. It just seemed like that was a hole that got dug, right? That wasn't able to to, to get out of, no matter how well USC played in the last in the second half of the game. No, no doubt about that, and it was just uncharacteristic to see mistakes coming from you know players that that this team has depended upon game after game over the course of the last two or three years. Uh, a guy as savvy and, you know, the leadership of uh, Deontay Burnett, those are uncharacteristic plays. And for me, all it takes is uh, just a mental lapse in judgment for, you know, going maybe a month, and, and, and you and I talked off air about this as we were preparing for this show. When you're not hit, it's hard to sim in practice for a month. It's hard to simulate the physicality that you're going to experience in a game of this magnitude when you're going up against not not only upper echelon talent, but talent that is ultimately going to play at the next level. It's hard to to match that physicality when, you know, you're in helmets and shorts half the time and it's dress rehearsal. You just can't simulate it enough to to then turn it on during game day. And I thought that that had every bit of of a factor as much as just the way that USC failed to execute in critical moments. Yeah, and, and that's going to be something, Daryl, that as we're sitting here looking forward with Clay Helton, I think that's going to be one of the real points that uh, not, not only Lynn Swan is going to sit here and emphasize with him, but uh, you, you are seeing now a, a couple different times, uh, twice in AT&T Stadium, that's for sure, uh, when we have matched up with a fellow Blue Blood and right. uh, th- th- things did not go well. You also had the game in Notre Dame earlier this year. But as you had talked about, that was a little bit different circumstances in that one. But uh, I think if you're Lynn Swan, that there's a justification with with Clay Helton in, ta- in, in, in having that be one of your talking points with him. Um, there was a suite at the game that Ronnie Lott hosted. You had Ronnie Lott. You had Marcus Allen. Uh, Reggie Bush was actually up there. Anthony Munoz, Ricky Ellison. Uh, and Lynn Swan dropped by at some point uh, during the game. Um, I'm going to guess those guys let him know, hey, a- 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 SC football. Right. Right. <laughs> and <laughs> you know what's interesting about about these comments that you're making, Gary, is because of the fact that underclassmen can declare three years mm-hmm. removed from high school means that you now have to analyze your program in a vacuum. And this vacuum is the time and extent of Sam Darnold's eligibility. Did, mm-hmm. Has USC maximized its potential on this platform and given itself the greatest opportunities to vie for a playoff opportunity? Going into the season, they definitely have that platform. You know, again, a couple of games got away from them and a couple of games that they looked overwhelmed in 2017, If you you know, um, such as the Notre Dame game, playing very, mm-hmm. you know, a, a physical team. Um, 
when I think about what you just said and, and the conversation that Lynn Swan, the athletic director Lynn Swan, may have with Clay Hilton, you, you, you really kind of have to think or keep things in perspective. How will someone like Lynn Swan um, measure the success that Clay Heldon is having with this program? Does he treat mm-hmm. this game like another midterm, being the first one being um, Alabama? Well, we're not quite there yet. Got to recruit better. We got a full deck, you know, to, to, uh, of, of scholarships to offer. Let's see how much we can, you know, what is that barometer? And when and despite USC losing to Ohio State, they didn't lose in the same fashion that Alabama. But that's no excuse. You still lost the game, and mm-hmm. at times they looked overwhelmed. However, I only thought that they looked overwhelmed for half. And if a few plays go the opposite way. This is a you know this is a thing about momentum. Momentum goes it's very fluid, and I thought first half they struggled offensively and you know and defensively they they were just kind of finding their way. And I thought midway through the second quarter they started to figure things out and they really stymied uh, Ohio State's offense in the second half. But trying to overcome twenty one points is just or, or whatever that did the difference was at the time. Was it just felt overwhelming um, for anybody, you know, especially when that that defensive line was suffocating. So when I look at this group, and if I were evaluating Clay Helton's progress, you have to you have to give him credit for winning the Pac-12 and defeating Stanford twice because that's a hard task. However, if you're measuring on a national level, then you can state you can make the argument that this program under under the leadership of Clay Helton is lacking something that that one can say either you have it or you don't and that is in big moments can you get your team to peak at its highest level but not only peak but execute and there's a combination of that maturation that after you know 2 years of body of work under Sam Darnold the quarterback position we should not be having this conversation Right, and, and it is something. Let, let's not understate how important that is to the USC football program. The the identity of when we match up in big boy football and big games, the history of USC football shows that we win more than our fair share of those. Um, you, you know, look, uh, I love the arcade game Pac Man, but I, I've never known USC to focus on you know gobbling up dots, gobbling up uh, right. wins. No, USC has always been defined by big moments. I mean, that's what I remember. That's why mm-hmm. we have household names like Ronnie Lott and Marcus Allen, you know, Reggie Bush and, yep. and Matt Leinert. <laughs> because in big moments, these guys shined brightest. And, you know, and, and if you think about last year, the heroics that, that we, we saw in, in the Rose Bowl against mm-hmm. Penn State, that is what we're accustomed to seeing. And that is the way that this program has always been geared up towards. That's why you recruit certain guys, and then certain guys who felt honored to wear the cardinal and gold play out of their minds. But when you lack something, and that something is attention to details, that awareness that prevents a player from being able to play at its best because they know what to expect, and now it's just a matter of beating the dude on the other side of you. That is where I thought that, that to be honest with you, Gary, Clay Helton came up small against Irvin Meyer, mm-hmm. <laughs> and, and I made a water belt, a boy analogy, but uh, is it Henry Winkler? 
right? His character as a coach, when he went up in the water boy uh, against um, his mentor, predecessor, he felt small, and he kind of wilted behind his players. I'm not suggesting that Clay Helton wilted, but he blinked. He blinked in the press conferences, and he, he sent an, um, a subliminal message to his players that they were going up against superior talent. And I think in the first half, they looked shell-shocked. I would have never have done that as a coach. You're USC. You recruit the best. You play the best, and this is why you come to USC, to play in these type of games. But when your coach is delivering a subliminal message, look out. That is something that I think he's going to have to evaluate. How is he delivering messages, whether it's verbal or nonverbal, to his players that give them the confidence to compete against the Ohio States or the Alabamas of the world? And like you say, the, the the only person who really is going to have an impact on that other than Clay Helton is Lynn Swan. And uh, you, you talked about Lynn's thinking on, on how he's going to handle a coach. And he, he gave some insight after the Pac-12 title game. When, when, when he talked about, he did acknowledge the gains that have been made in the program by Clay Helton. And he talked about, hey, it would have been unrealistic to think that we're all of a sudden going to jump back into – the national championship conversation, boom, just like that, and, and you're settled in, coming off sanctions. Right, uh, right. And he talked about how, you know, the, the, the Pittsburgh Steelers, his team in the NFL, three head coaches in 30 years. The stability that is gained by that uh, within a program is something that Lynn obviously has a lot of appreciation for. Right. But, you're bring, but, but the, the, the thing you bring up right now here, Daryl, on top of everything else in Lynn's evaluation of Clay, I think that's going to be one of the biggest things this offseason. Lynn how are you viewing that big boy matchup part of Clay Helton in his development as a head coach? That toughness element, that ability to match up with the mature head coaches around the country. Um, how secure are you that Clay Helton, for all the good that he has done, how secure are you that he's the coach to get you there? You know, and what's interesting is, look, I can't sit here and 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 make any type of representation as though I know uh, Lynn Swan as a person. I don't. Mm-hmm. I've had brief conversations with them, but everything that I've ever come to learn about him and what USC means to him and playing for the Pittsburgh Steelers, and like you said, you talked about stability, consistency, you know, but also with con- stability and consistency comes patience. Now, if but if I were putting on an athletic director hat, and I were sitting across from Clay Helton based on what I've come to understand and, and learn about how he deals with certain situations. I would first be curious to understand his perspective year in review. Give me a chronology about how you felt your program has, you know, progressed and what is your plan to take it to the next step. I would want to hear that business plan all over again. Because I'm wondering if, you know, if, if, if these opportunities have presented learning lessons that I can say, okay, I can support that. But, uh, but again, Gary, if, if, if you're Lynn Swan and you're evaluating Clay Helton, I think you almost have to encourage a reevaluation of the coaching staff. Do mm-hmm. I have the right elements around me to be as successful as I need to be to make these adjustments because if you, if I'm making the if I'm making the statement that this program lacks execution and adjustments that's not a player thing that's an in-game adjustment thing that's attention to details and when you're playing and you're trying to compete for a national championship you got to be as sharp as you can be 
And that's the beauty of having year-end. New Year's resolution, you kind of, you know, you take the, the bottom 10%, you get rid of that out of your closet, and you replace it with new. Same thing can be said about a coaching staff. You got to reevaluate the progress that you're, that's being made at every position. And right now, for me, Gary, the secondary, you need to reevaluate if you're getting the most out of the talent in that secondary. Because there was a lot of experience that came back, but at times, they look not only pedestrian, but they look like that, that they were the weakest unit on the defensive side of the ball. And, and that, for me, it hurts because it's humbling to, to even say that considering the amount of talent that, that oozes out of that secondary. Oh, and I'm sure you as a defensive back from USC, that, like you say, that's, that's particularly humbling. That's, that's your position group. Um, yeah. I get that. I, I, I think that part is going to be fascinating. I, I think we learned so much with the fact that Tyson Helton left uh, right after the Pac-12 title game. Um, that, that tells me the element of shakeup is going to continue. The fact that Tyson was the first domino to fall. Uh, right. So early on, it would not at all surprise me to see further moves. And like you say, the, the, the defensive back coach is certainly one that's getting a lot of looks right now. Uh, you know, Neil Callaway on the offensive line is, is under a lot of criticism on the message boards right now. Um, that is going to be fascinating to, to see how that kind of call it self scouting, if you will, on, on Clay's yeah. part. Cause I'll say this, Daryl, that that's one of the things I came away with in the Cotton Bowl is, uh, going up against a mature wow. staff. You know, not only sure. Urban Meyer, but his assistant coaches, his coordinators. Uh, those are guys yep. who are set in their ways. They know what they're doing, like you say. You it know, shows. it's interesting. You, you just said something that, that I just thought about, okay? The names that you just mentioned, you know, um, Ty Helton, um, Callaway. Uh-huh. Aren't these guys that Coach Helton handpicked? Oh, sure. And if you handpicked, and, and, and the guys that we're not calling right now um, appear to be the carryovers. So this is a critical moment. And if you are looking at the totality of where the program is heading, I have to wonder, okay, Clay, we gave you an opportunity to go out and identify some of the best coaches in the world because you can't tell me that there's not, you know, stacks and stacks and stacks of resumes, digital of resumes in your email box or on your desk that you can't choose from. But the, the ones that you brought that you wanted close to your vest, are the ones we are now questioning. So, Clay, this is one of those critical moments where leadership not only is defined by how well you can call a timeout on the sideline, but what can you do behind the scenes to either elevate the people around you right. or learn from you know the chemistry and bring in and supplement pieces that perhaps on paper look good but don't quite work out the way that you thought it was. So, again, uh, the, some self-evaluation, you know, it's not always good to pick the people closest to you. You know, that's why they say, you know, you don't always hire family to work with you. It's very mm -hmm. difficult. But, you know, yeah, I, I would <clears> – <throat> I am very curious to see what transpires over the next few months because, you know, for the, this is unprecedented, right, Gary, that we have a, um, a signing day in December and then we oh, close yeah. it out again, you know, uh, with the – traditional signing day so to speak mm -hmm. so mm -hmm. you know can changes be made or do you wait until after the recruiting class is stabilized before you go out and you you know you reconsider um if changes need to be made at the coaching position 
Well, and let's let's keep a keep a topic right here on, on personnel, not only with recruiting, but Daryl, what we're going to find out in the next two weeks is some of these early NFL draft decisions. And obviously, there's a there, there's a big one at the quarterback spot that uh, right. that is going to impact this program in a huge way because there is the talking point of you know evaluating the Helton tenure. Well, the Helton tenure has had Sam Darnold for the vast majority, right? Of Right. And the, the the thought, and you used the term before, you the eraser. Sam Donald erases a lot of a lot a lot of issues. Um, yeah, you may you not know, have some, has Sam Donald after two more weeks. Uh, and that's a, but, that's a great point to make because again, we we talked about you know the way that you have to evaluate this program is in a vacuum. It, you know, if if Sam Donald declares, and and it would be hard pressed to understand why he would want to stick around. Um, if you are considered a top two or top three pick selection yeah. In, yeah. in the NFL draft, That's I don't care right. who you are. It would it, be very, very challenging to want to come back when you have that opportunity ahead of you. With that being said, though, um, you know, Helton, has ne- as a head coach, has yet to have the opportunity to be defined without – Sam Darnold's name being associated mm-hmm. with his success, mm-hmm. you know. So how do you measure that success? Because Sam is such a polarizing player in terms of how he galvanizes those around him, you know, and wills them to win. That it's given, in my opinion, it's giving Clay an opportunity to kind of round out his experience as a head coach. And that's rare that you have those unique opportunities because the narrative would, would have been very different had he not have made that decision against Utah in week three or four of last season. Mm-hmm. You know, But because he did make that decision and that decision made him right, we've now afforded as a fan base, have, have afforded the luxury of watching this program grow, struggle, but without too much criticism. Well, if you don't have that luxury, it's curious. Again, I'm curious to understand how will you make decisions when they're right there in front of you to be made, and it's going to clearly define what direction your program goes as it pertains to the quarterback position if Sam Darnold does declare. But when it comes to personnel, let's make sure to make the point. Clay Helton, what we've seen through – two regular signing days and an early signing day, Daryl, this guy knows how to close the deal when it comes to recruiting. No, no doubt about that. And you can't question that. You, you can't, you know, but then in hindsight, Gary, mm-hmm. how many times have we said that about the last few head coaches? You know, oh, no back doubt. to Pete Carroll that, you know, no if doubt. you're at USC, you can coach. I mean, you, you can recruit. You better if you, you can recruit. To recruit. Yeah, if you can't, you, something's wrong. You're right. Okay, but but with that being said, what he's done, you know, um, so far, being able to bring in complementary parts, recognizing where weaknesses are, picking up what Trevor Trout, you know, mm-hmm. from Chaminade, um, out of, I believe that's out of Missouri, right? Yeah, I mean, going yeah. out of state, you know. So I, I've been impressed with his ability to, to again, you know, uh, cast a wide net and and reel in some big fish, um, where it's still. De- you know, yet to be determined is how much will you have to rely upon some of these early signees and, you know, the ones in February when it's still undetermined how many of your upperclassmen are coming, you know, are going to return 
versus those who who are going to be declaring for the draft. So it's 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 challenging as a head coach, but give him a lot of credit. He has been bringing in you know blue chips that that have made significant early impacts and, and, um, and, 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 and that are that are forming the base of his roster moving forward. I think that's something of this year. That, that wasn't paid attention to a lot. But I, at the end of the year, I want to say we ended up with nine senior scholarship players. Wow. Because this senior class was the last 15-man class of sanctions. And then gotcha. so when you obviously have yeah. some attrition along the way, I believe sure. it was nine after Kenny Bigelow left. And so you, you, you don't, as a coach, you don't have that senior-dominated roster. Right, right, right. Um, and, and if you do look at the base of talent, you, you and I were talking earlier, and uh, there was a comment we heard from someone within the program. You know, the vast majority of our good linemen are the young guys. Are the young you guys? Know, that's good moving forward. Sure. Um, I mean, with, with and the, how much with is that factored in for 2017? You know, <laughs> <laughs> right, right. You know, at the expense of 2017, you know, they gain invaluable learning experience about you know what it means to go up against pro style or caliber talent or opposite of you. And that sometimes can raise the level of intensity in practice because mm-hmm. when you know what it feels like to go up against someone like Ohio State or Alabama, you know, you don't settle for a mediocre practice because you know that you're doing yourself a disservice when it comes to. So give give Clay a lot of credit. And like I said, you know, just the way that he's kind of rounding out this class, you talked about it. Mm-hmm. Um I'd still like to see maybe another quarterback um, highly sought after on this list, just as a security blanket, um, you know. And I know what you have. I, I know you have on the roster, but in my opinion, until you have a, a defined starter, you don't have enough quarterbacks on the roster. No, no. Okay, so now where are you putting J.T. Daniels, who will be here in the fall? Obviously, an early, you know, a whole year early enrollee. Let's say Sam does leave. Right. How much does J.T. jump right in that mix right away? I, I don't know. That's what I'm saying know. because yeah. you know um, when you when you when you when you jump a whole year, that maturation, putting him at the collegiate level, playing in big games, that's that's a, that's asking a lot. The way that this offense demands so much of the quarterback position to absorb. Granted, you know you see a lot of signals on the sidelines, but make no mistake about it, you still have to you you still have to. Um, <clears throat> memorize the playbook to the point where you can identify when players are out of position. Then I would give more credit to some of the quarterbacks that are already on the roster, you know, returning from injury too, in some cases. But um, my, my biggest concern, Gary, is not the recruit coming in. It's can Clay make a decision about who's going to be the quarterback without waffling early in the season when it matters most to get off to a fast start. That's my biggest thing, you know, um, and it may be easier to, you know, allow competition to to rise to the top, uh, the better talent. But at that position, you got to define it early on once it's clear in your mind because you can't have another situation where you waste three games because you weren't, you know, you're, you're trying to be loyal to a veteran when you got a Sam Darnold, a prodigy, a savant in your, you know, who probably should have started from the beginning based on all the – all the information coming back from people observing practice in some of the players last season. Yeah, and I so, think it's going to be interesting that the, the point you mentioned about practices, uh, 
we've talked about it a lot, Clay Helton's approach to practice, and, and he places such an emphasis on the mental part of the preparation, perhaps at the expense of what a, a lot of people would look at and say the physical part of the preparation um, right. is flipped. And I, I think the Ohio State game, boy, just since that's our most recent example, the reports we heard out of Columbus were full pads, physical practices every day of the, of the bowl practice yeah. session. Um, yeah, you know, that's going to be see how, how Lynn works with Clay on that. That's, right, right, right. Because when you have a veteran group who have a lot of mileage or tread on those tires, mm-hmm. you may want to kind of treat them like pro veterans and, and you know, kind of scale it back. But when, when you got young thoroughbreds that need that physicality, that, that need to build that callus that I always talk about, you, you mm-hmm. get that because of the thud, the thumping in practice. So that when you get into a, a game-like situation where, regardless of what anybody says, hitting another person is not natural. You get real butterflies until you get that first hit in. And depending on who's delivering that first blow will determine how fast you can settle into the game. You know, So I've seen guys flinch simply because they forgot what it felt like to be hit, to be bruised. Mm-hmm. To go into a, a situation where you, your body just doesn't feel right. And so you, you can't undervalue the significance of hitting in practice. And, I, and sometimes I believe you get hurt more when you don't hit in practice. Because at least when you're hitting in practice, your body tends to adjust to mm-hmm. the physicality. You know, uh, I've seen a lot of guys pull more hamstrings and shorts and, 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 and helmets than I have seen them in full pads. That's going to be so much interesting, Daryl, as we move forward in this off season. Um, for for a team again coming off a Pac-12 title, having a lot of recruiting success right now. Uh, you talked about some of the things that you know, some of the moves that Clay Helton might need to self-evaluate within his coaching staff. I certainly look at the move of Daylon McCullough, the running back coach last year. Boy, the first time you went out and reached outside of your circle and family of friends, I was certainly impressed with the choice you made. Right, no, 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 no doubt about that, you know. And and again, if you can build on that, but but Gary, someone who's been around this program for for you know decades now, um, that span over decades, uh, what, what were your thoughts on just the kind of the maturation of the the skill players like the receiving core? I thought that in this game against Ohio State in the Cotton Bowl, they they shined. Considering at the beginning of the year, we were scratching our heads to figure out where these pieces were going to come from. But, but guys like Tyler Vaughn and Pittman, you know, I thought that they shined when, when you needed them most when your fastball wasn't quite there, if you're talking about Deontay Burnett. And Deontay Burnett, who did end up with 12 catches, I want to say a, a buck 39 or something. By the end of the game, Deontay had put together some numbers. But uh, you're absolutely right with what happened at the beginning. Daryl, with the way they were shutting down the run game of the Trojans, yeah, I, I, I remember the, when, when De La Salle played Modern Day when Matt Leinart was, was at Modern Day. Uh, it was the third game in that trilogy, and De La Salle was up big at halftime, and Rollinson just turned to, to Matt at halftime and said, second half, chuck it all over the yard. Wow. Daryl, yeah. I'd have done that. I, I, that. That would have been my speech at halftime. Um, it would have been my speech at halftime, too. Like you say, Bonds and Pittman, go. Just just go, Sam. Because um, you're right. That that development right there is – Daryl, there's so much you can point to this year. Right. Of, you know, yeah. The defensive line, we talked about Kenechi. Anyone who doesn't see what's going on here isn't looking. Um, I mean, I, I thought that they, they did a stellar job 
you know, really, I, I thought bringing this game, make keeping this game competitive uh-huh. with the adjustments and just winning those one-on-one battles in the second half. You know, remarkable. Give a lot of credit to Kenichi because there were times when, you know, as he was kind of figuring out his role, um, there was questions about whether he, you know, his ability to communicate um, mm-hmm. and, and really kind of transfer the coaching or the um, the 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 philosophy of Clancy was effective. But right. we see. He's making not only an impact, but he's really making a name for himself as a yeah. staple on this defense with the unit that he's bringing to the table. Yeah, yeah, and, and the recruiting that he's doing, we we got a we got a star in the making here. And here's one thing I think will be interesting: we don't know how things are going to shake out with this tenth assistant coach. Uh, all, all teams can add a tenth coach here this month. Um, Boy, Daryl, I don't know how how it might work out, but there's talk maybe T. Martin goes to quarterback coach. Who knows how it works out? But, boy, when you see what happened with Kanechi on that side, someone from your teams, uh, a young coach with that kind of background, boy, you just kind of hope that Kerry Colbert in some way, somehow gets a chance here. I I really hope so. You know, uh, I I have a fond admiration for him. And I know the commitment that he makes and his love and devotion for this program, but his attention to details. You know, he's not technically able to work with the receivers in the end. And I can't figure out a better coach to continue the elevation and the maturation of this receiving core than someone like Kerry. And really, really quick, because I know we're pressing for time now, but you know someone is on top of their game when he he gave me the greatest advice that a receiver can give to a DB. I watched him one day warming up, and he was doing what they call around the clock, where your hands go up like they're like above your head, like at 12 o'clock, straight down, where your thumbs are up um, at 6 o'clock, and then 3 o'clock, 9 o'clock, in terms of angles where you would be catching the ball if you're coming across the middle. But I watched him, and he had one eye closed, Gary. This is Kerry Covert I'm referring to. And I asked him, I said, Kerry, why are you, 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 know, you catching the ball with one eye closed? He said, well, because I play on, on the left side of Matt and the right side of Matt, either as the X or the Z receiver. And you have to train your eyes to see the light traveling differently. So he said, what happens when you lose one of your senses? The other senses are enhanced. Same thing when you close one eye. A lot of natural light goes into the right eye, so when I close my my right eye, now I get a lot of natural light coming into my left eye. I want my pupils to dilate and be as strong as they can. Those little attention to details guys don't think about. But when you have somebody with that type of foresight on your sideline, who better than someone who's played at a high level to be able to, to relay that to players as they're trying to adjust to this platform that we call college football i would Mm -hmm. love to see that happen i think that he's paid his dues and if an opportunity presented itself i think clay should welcome the opportunity to bring him on full time to his coaching staff i'll tell you daryl i've watched football for a lot of years i've never thought about the light coming into a receiver's eyes depending on which side of the field he's on to get the ball from the quarterback that one's yeah, never no, crossed no, my field. No, no doubt about that. You know, <laughs> <laughs> you know uh, and, and again, those are just little attention to details that guys like him think about. You know, guys who love football and are obsessed with getting better. And that's what I think what he brings to the table. 
but a lot to be thankful for despite, you know, um, losing uh, the Cotton Bowl, Gary. I think that this can be a momentum grabber because I thought USC was a a half away from making that game very competitive. And if you're going to spin a narrative moving forward, that's my recruiting deploy to to some of these young guys coming in that I'm trying to seal the deal if I'm Clay Helton. Hey, look, Mm -hmm. if I had you out there, we're one player away, we're a couple of players away, with you, we can get over that hump. And if he if he spins that narrative, I think that he can finish this thing out strong and, and change the disdain that a lot of us have for losing to Ohio State. I, I, I agree with you, and I think the one thing that a lot of people point to, when you look at the roster, Daryl, even if you would have honestly looked at it this year, you were probably saying, you know what, 2018 is probably really the time when we make a run of something. Um, yep. Because so that's when experience talent meets back. talent, you know. When, when you can yep. match those two playing in these big moments or being in these big moments, that 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 really is the start of a run, you know. And and I think this senior class and these uh, upperclassmen who may or may not be declaring, I thank them for their tenure at SC, for helping the program turn that corner and not only become relevant but become a conversational piece. Uh, year in and year out, moving forward. You, you know what I like, Daryl, after the game? How many younger players took to social media to thank the seniors? Um, wow. And when we talk about Clay Helton, you're evaluating Clay Helton, um, understanding how much of his mon- you know, marching orders were changing the culture of the program. Right. And, I, boy, you, you give him high marks across the board in that regard. Uh, let's always make clear of that. Uh, how you know he always talks about creating the brotherhood among the players and the way sure. that you know, older brother, younger brother stuff. And so, just seeing the multitude of tweets coming out after the game of younger guys saying, "Hey, we want to thank the seniors. We didn't finish it off for them, but we're going to carry this on for you." Uh, wow! Just one more little and, and thing it, that you it, like. it truly is re- remarkable. You know, and like I said uh, about Clay Helton, I think that he is the right person for this job. It's just a daunting task, and. We measure his success in a vacuum because the time that we have with these players is so short, and we just want to see them seize the moment. So the criticism is right because it should keep him razor edge as he thinks about where this program is heading. But make no mistake about it. I am, as an alum, as a former player, very appreciative of the way that he's turned this program around. And and I thank him because the greatest implication of the – the success of that mantra that he's trying to create is fostered by those tweets from the younger players showing their gratitude towards the veterans who are now leaving and moving on. That that speaks volumes. We've seen it the other way too, Gary, where yes, the younger players just disconnect from the, the veterans. But this is a group who loves one another and love the time that they spent with one another, um, and, and I do believe that they will carry that torch to higher heights. Well, that's our wrap here for uh, 2017 season. Uh, boy, Daryl, the next few weeks and in getting into spring ball, we'll have uh, obviously the early entries for the NFL, see what happens there. We'll have that second signing date, if you will, uh, the traditional early February one. And then before we know it, spring ball will be here. So it was a lot of fun this year uh, r- r- wrapping everything up. Trojans, Pac-12 champions, 11-3. and three. Uh, Just a lot to like about this football season. So for Daryl Vado, this is Gary Pasquitz. You're listening to the We Are SE Podcast.